The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. It's great to have the Nunamick group with us uh, today, and uh, I want to thank uh, the Quins and, and um, the Bergs for being with us today. Uh, praise the Lord that our church is growing in our involvement there. Before I begin my message, I'd like to share a matter that um, is of a rather sober nature. Um, today, if you, were, if you have a mail folder uh, in, in our church in the corner in the foyer, you'll find in there an envelope, and um, it's a generic envelope for, for any, everyone that was sent to us in bulk uh, by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, of which our church is a member, and um, they are appealing to us on a few different fronts, it pr- primarily has to do with the fact that uh, a year ago in February, the Supreme Court of Canada struck down the criminal code ban on physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia. The court suspended its decision for one year to give the federal government time to amend the law. And then since then, there's been a four-month extension on that for Parliament to come up with a new law, which means that this this special uh, House-Senate Joint Committee that has been working has till the end of this month to bring some recommendations forward. June 6th is the big date that they want to uh, settle this and repeal and, and, and change the laws on uh, doctor-assisted suicide. And um, there's a petition that they have that is very clear, clearly thought through. Uh, it's a declaration on euthanasia-assisted suicide. And uh, it is incredible to think about the ramifications of this issue In my own growth as a believer, I believe that in the last six years or so, the doctrine of the creation of the image of God in in humanity is foundational to most of what I believe in in Scripture. And the the dignity and the sanctity of human life is, is at stake in our country in terms of its handling it very loosely. If the laws go through as they're being propositioned to go through, it will mean that, that our public funds will support the termination of a life prematurely. It will ignore matters of, of age and deal with competence, which means that children could elect themselves to end their lives early. It will also uh, mean that um, ideas or, or what a person deems acceptable reason to terminate their own lives will, will be will be opened wide in terms of emotional uh, and uh, physical issues. Uh, they also are appealing that there would be no waiting or reflection period before a prescription would be given, and um, that uh, any healthcare providers would need to educate patients on end-of-life options, and also that any doctors or healthcare providers, regardless of religious beliefs, would need to Uh, at least give referral and so on, which could be very much against conscience. And then finally, it would actually enter into the public education so that children would be learning early about what are options available to them if they get sick or they don't like life anymore and so on. Now, I am not suggesting that this is an easy matter. For those that that are are facing loved ones that have uh, really difficult end-of-life trauma and, and pain and sorrow, like we have recently heard in the news here in Winnipeg, it is not an easy matter to process emotionally. But uh, we also know that uh, our, hand, our lives are in God's hands, that he is the creator, 
And uh, the document that is, is, is stated here that you could sign as a petition, a declaration, does not just deal with religious argumentation. It, it, it talks very clearly about the need to increase resources in palliative and home care and to make the end of life more manageable for all those that have difficulty. It is a commentary on our society that this declaration is appealing to. And so I, I give this to you as uh, the church leadership felt that we should pass it on. Uh, the, the letter is actually asking for money. We're not suggesting you individually need to give money to EFC. Obviously, the $400 that we give them a year to be a member church is not going to for, pay for many lawyers that are going to Ottawa and uh, talking to Parliament and in the Supreme Court and so on. But um, if you want to sign that declaration online, if you want to uh, support them directly, if you want to be involved, it is up to you. But uh, we give it to you today. And uh, would you join me in prayer as we before the message? <clears throat> Father, our God, we, we thank you that you are the creator God. Uh, <laughs> we, we declare you today as creator God over every life on this globe, Lord, uh, in the womb and outside of. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for your glory that is reflected in your creation and in the each human life that is especially in the image of God, you. So, Father, we thank you, and we pray that somehow as a conscience to our society in Canada, we as a church, we as people that love you and know you, would raise up a standard that says, no, life is extremely valuable. We cannot put a price on some lives more than others, that, um, that you are the one who gives and you are the one who takes it away. And, God, we pray for wisdom and conscience upon those that are making laws, those in parliament. And uh, we pray, God, that you would guide uh, this country in these steps, Father. And uh, Father, we thank you for your word. It, it is the foundation on which we stand, your truth, and we pray that the truth of God would yet have a place in our laws and in our courts and in our parliament. Bless us as we open your word today now and give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been in a series of sermons now for several weeks that is addressing the matter of equipping the church. And uh, we're looking today at a passage of Scripture, yet we've been actually covering most of the New Testament passages that have to do with the body life of the church, the spiritual gifting that God gives to each individual believer in the church. Today we're going to be looking at yet another passage found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you want to turn to that uh, with me. Um, as you are turning to it, uh, I want to tell you that yesterday the board and the staff of our church had a, a retreat, and it was just a wonderful time to get the group together, and uh, we, we studied more of the study guide from Don Cousins' book, Experiencing Leadership. We talked and shared individually what our spiritual gifts are, how we fit into the body, whether we are primarily equippers or servers and how that all puts together as a team. And uh, it was particularly encouraging for me yesterday because uh, in just a little over a month, I am going away for a few months of sabbatical. And it was a wonderful picture yesterday as I saw the board and the staff meeting to be reminded that this church is in good hands, that uh, we have incredibly unified and committed leadership both at the staff level of our church and at the board level. And so as I uh, get away on my sabbatical, I'm going to not take a whole bunch of worries with me. 
Uh, I'll be praying for you and thinking of you, but I'll be uh, glad, to, glad to God for the fact that um, this church is, is growing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Kevin Clausen shared with us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, the Corinthian church was a church, if you can just imagine this, it was founded by the Apostle Paul 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 20 years after he founded this church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. And it, it became a dynamic church, explosively dynamic church. It was just a very happening place. But it was also a very divisive church. There was a lot of problems in the church at Corinth. And we, we see the, the strife that was there uh, and, and uh, various matters that were surfacing there. But the, the key problem was that, that Paul addresses most is the problem around spiritual gifts. And um, as I said, Pastor Kevin uh, preached in chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago, and he, he shared with us that, that we're, all, we're all the same in terms of e equality before God, so we should stop judging each other. And he said that we're also all different in terms of our function in the body, and so we should stop comparing ourselves with each other. And then he also said that we should all be working toward the same goals, so we should, should all have an understanding that we're in this for the common good. And today, as we open up our Bibles in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, um, I want you to note and look for a key word as I read the Scripture text this morning. Uh, six times in chapter 14, Paul uses the word edify, or sometimes it's translated strengthen, or sometimes it's translated build up. And that is a key word for our study this morning. So as I read the Scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 12, listen for that word a few times to occur. Would you stand with me as we listen to the word of God read today? <clears throat> Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for the battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. May God bless his word. You may be seated. There are three questions that I'd like us to answer this morning, and you can see them in that little insert in your bulletin. 
The first question I want to ask and answer is what, what factors were tearing down the church uh, in Corinth instead of building it up? Secondly, why did spiritual gifts become a source for tearing down the church instead of building it up? And then thirdly, what can we learn from the Corinthian church about building up the body of Christ here at White Ridge Baptist Church? Paul begins the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, and early in his letter, he says to them that they do not lack any spiritual gift. It's found in chapter 1, verse 7. 1, verse 7, Paul says, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, just a few verses later, in verses 10 to 12, he goes on to say these things. He says, he appeals to them that they would agree with one another that there'd be no divisions among them, that they would be perfectly united, and that they would stop quarreling. Four big heavy words in there about the division in the church. And yet, this is in light of the fact that they don't lack anything in terms of spiritual gifting. It's interesting. They had all the spiritual gifts, but they had all kinds of problems. In fact, many years later, when Paul is writing his second letter to the church at Corinth, we find in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 20, he says, I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. You know, like... Here, many years later, the first letter didn't seem to solve all the problems. I mean, there's still a lot of discord in Corinth. This church caused the Apostle Paul much grief. If we studied the letters, we could find that probably we could divide up all the problems into different camps. There's things like a division of... of um, personalities being followed. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. There's different teachings and doctrines and personalities that are preferred, and so they're divided over that. There's immorality issues sexually. There's lawsuits among believers. They take it to the world to settle. They, take, they have marriage and divorce problems, food sacrificed to idols. What do you do with that? The role of men and women in the church, the observance of the Lord's Supper, how to deal with offerings that are given for other needs and so on. I mean, the list goes on and on. If I were to try and classify all the problems in the church at Corinth, I would say possibly we'd have a long list under three categories. One would be possibly just called sin. Another one might be called worldliness. And the other one might be just called immaturity. And underneath all three of those, there's going to be a long list of things that we could find in the letters that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. But the section of teaching that gets the most attention from Paul is on spiritual gifts. It's found in chapters 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians, spiritual gifts. And so, as Kevin shared a couple weeks ago, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he lofts into three chapters on teaching about spiritual gift, gifts. In verse 25 of chapter 12, he says this, so that there should be no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now, in the context of this whole section of chapter 12, 
Paul teaching on spiritual gifts, what he is saying in verse 25 is he is saying that God arranged the parts of the body. He gave gifts to each individual for the building up of the church, and he did it so that there'd be no division in the body. And yet, in the experience of Corinth, the very thing that God gave to, to cause no division was causing more division in the church. The thing that God gave to solve problems was actually causing problems in the church at Corinth. And, and we see the reasons why in, in this passage of Scripture. The, the believers at Corinth had, had made a, a point of exalting certain gifts, especially the supernatural ones, the ones that were kind of exciting, like the gift of tongues and the gift of interpreting tongues and the gift of miracles and the gift of healing. And they exalted those things and other gifts that were more common and mundane, they, they devalued in the body. The result was that the church of Corinth was full of, of division and arguments. There was immaturity. There was spiritual pride. There were people that were not being built up in their faith. Okay? Let's go on to the second question then. Why did spiritual gifts then become a source of tearing down the church instead of building it up? I think there are three reasons that we find in the Scripture. And um, the first reason is, is this is found in the middle of chapter 12 and 14. It's called chapter 13. You might otherwise know it as the, the wedding text, <laughs> which has almost nothing, well, nothing to do with wedding in the context. Uh, but it does have a whole lot to do with spiritual gifts. Last week when Pastor Doug was sharing with us, he preached from 1 Peter chapter 4. And in verse 8 of that text, he, it says, above all, love each other. Above all. Did you get that? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins and divisions and arguments and problems. The Corinthine church could have heard that message, eh? So what do we, what do we learn? First of all, the, the, the Corinthian church had forgotten the most excellent way. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. He says this, and now I will show you the most excellent way. The Corinthian church forgot that love was the most excellent way. In terms of how to use our spiritual gifts, it's central. This agape love is central to how a church works out spiritual gifts. And he talks about five gifts in the first verses of chapter 13. Notice that Paul says, if I have if I speak in tongues, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's gift one. Number two, he says, and if I have the gift of prophecy, you can understand all mysteries and knowledge, but I have not love. And if I have faith, the third gift, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And then the fourth gift, he says, and if I give, the gift of giving, if I give all that I possess to the poor but I have not love, and then the fifth gift, and even if I were to surrender my body to the flames, the gift of martyrdom, if I give my body even and have not love, he says, I gain nothing. Five gifts of the Spirit that without love are absolutely neutralized, neutered, debilitated, of no value, Paul says. And so the first reason that gifts 
were a source of tearing down instead of building up, according to Paul, is because they were trying to be exercising gifts apart from love. Now, think about that for a moment. Think about it. Imagine the gift of teaching without love. Have you ever been in a service where there's a preacher or there's a teacher, and they're yelling at you all the time? <laughs> you know, have you ever been in a service or a teaching ministry where you just feel beat up? Now, I'm not saying that you might not get uncomfortable you know, because part of the role of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable, right? But I don't, I don't want to be the one doing that. If God the Spirit wants to do something with you, that's fine. But, you know, if I don't love you, I'm going to really ruin my preaching ministry among you. Can you imagine the gift of administration exercised without love where people... Overlook the humans involved and just do a program. Or the gift of helps. Can you imagine the gift of helps without love? I can. I think, I think it ends up that people feel like projects. Even the hospitality gift. Can you imagine the gift of hospitality without love? I can. I think I've experienced it, in fact. You know the difference when you're in someone's home and you feel like, whoa, I'm really imposing here. Or you're in someone's home and you feel like, I, I'm, a, I'm one of the family. Paul says that it doesn't matter how efficient you are in your gifting, if you don't have love, you betray the giver of the gift. You betray him. So that's the first reason that Spiritual gifts had become a source of tearing down instead of building up. The second thing I'd like to say from chapter 13 as well is that the Corinthian church had forgotten that perfection has not yet come. Look at chapter 13, and uh, let me just walk it through with you. After a description of agape love in verses 4 to 7, there's the wedding text, right? After a description of agape love, Paul gives a sobering reminder to the believers of just what era they are living in. And he says, basically, that we're living in the imperfect era. You see, we're living in the era of the already, but the not yet. The, the, that Christ has already come, but he is not yet come. We live between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the church at Corinth and the church of White Ridge Baptist in Winnipeg, we are separated by a lot of, a lot of years, but we are in the same era between the already and the not yet. And what we are waiting for is that consummation of time when everything that is now imperfect will be made perfect. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He is talking about this age that we live in, in which we see sin and injustice, in which we see this, the bride, the church of Jesus Christ being cleansed and perfected and sanctified in which we wait for that time of perfection. It's not here yet. And like Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 2, he says, and while we wait, we groan. Man, we groan. Do you not groan? Do you not groan 
when you watch the news? Do you not groan when you see conflict and divisiveness and problems in your own family, in your neighborhood, in the city, in the world? Do you not groan? I groan a lot. I feel very much like Isaiah in chapter 6 when he says, man, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. There's a lot of groaning in this era between the already and the not yet. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, he, he revisits the spiritual gifts that he just mentioned. He says, where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, all the imperfect will disappear. That's good news. That's when the groaning stops. That's why we pray Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You see, what is Paul talking about here? He is teaching about the characteristics of spiritual gifts. And two key characteristics of spiritual gifts are, number one, that they are temporal, and number two, that they are imperfect. The Corinthian church forgot that. No one functions in their area of gifting with anything close to perfection. Nothing even remotely close to perfection. You know, we, we see Jesus functioning in the giftings of the Spirit as he walked the earth. He walked by someone, he wanted to heal them, they were healed. I've, I've heard of some people with the gift of healing. I've never met them, but I've heard of them. Sometimes, it, sometimes they're effective and sometimes they're not. We see, we see the, whatever gifts of the Spirit you could name, craftsmanship. You know what? We see some incredible artisans in the Christian church. Art and, and, and craftsmanship. You know what? They can do better. <laughs> it's imperfect. We see people that have administrative abilities. Incredible. I'm so thankful for them. But you know what? They could do better. They're growing. They make mistakes. We see teachers and preachers and people that have gifts of, of speaking gifts. And, and you know what? That's incredible. It builds up the church. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the flesh enters in. We have people with gifts of discernment. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes not so much. We have people with the gift of intercession or prayer. And, and, and sometimes it's just bang on. And we see uh, the gift of faith functioning and so on. But, but sometimes, you know what? We, we don't get it right. We, we have more doubt than faith, you know. The point I'm making is that whatever area of gifting you might have, we utilize our gifts in imperfect ways. We all need to be humble. We all need to learn that we're in process. And Paul says in verse 11, he says it this way, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Can you and I see ourselves as children in the way we use our spiritual gift? Now, you might, I hope you're growing. I hope those of you who among us are 50 or 70 are further ahead in knowing your spiritual gift and how to use it than those of you who are 20 and 30. But boy, we're all children still. We haven't arrived. Perfection hasn't come. And it won't come as long as we live in this body. And that's why verse 12, Paul says, Now we see, but a poor reflection, as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. You know, I'm not sure, I'm not going to 
go to the stake on this one. So don't quote me. But I think that spiritual gifts are temporal in the sense that one day when we're in heaven, each one of us, all of us, are going to have all the spiritual gifts. Except for the ones that are no longer needed, like evangelism. I, I think that's what it's going to look like. We're going to all have all the gifts. And, and it's going to be an incredible body. And, and Jesus Christ is going to be so exalted in all kinds of ways. We can't even imagine. But right now, we, we are imperfect. And we're, and we're just trying to grow in how we use the things that God has given us for the building up of others. That's the second reason why spiritual gifts had become a source of tearing down because they thought that perfection had come and they didn't realize that they needed to be humble in their handling of giftings. The third reason is because they had not given priority to the greater gifts. Now you might say, whoa, greater gifts? Isn't every gift equal? Well, let's see what Paul says. Notice in chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, before the love chapter, he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then notice that right after the love chapter, in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire, same words, spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So what am I saying? Well, I think that Paul describes what Paul describes as greater gifts in chapter 1231. He now proceeds to define in chapter 14, and he does so at the start by, by showing what two gifts look like in comparison with each other, the gift of prophecy compared with the gift of tongues. And that's what he does. What is prophecy to begin with? Prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is the divine enablement to reveal truth and proclaim it in a timely and relevant manner for understanding, correction, repentance, and edification. It is definitely related to the gift of teaching or preaching, but it's not exactly the same or confined to. Michael Green defines the gift of prophecy as a particular word for a particular congregation at a particular time through a particular person. So how does that differ from Scripture? Scripture is for all people of all times. Prophecy is for a certain group at a certain time through a certain person, always submitting to the Scripture that is of all time and always authoritative. And so we see the gift of prophecy evidenced in the New Testament church by both men and women, and uh, Paul is going to talk more about it in this chapter. What is the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues is the divine enablement to speak and worship and pray in a language unknown to the speaker and always resulting in a deeper intimacy with God. Now, I know various people that have the gift of tongues. I don't have the gift of tongues. I, when I was younger, kind of like what Pastor Kevin was sharing uh, in, a couple weeks ago, I kind of wanted some of that kind of other stuff. I don't have that gift of tongues. What does Paul teach then about the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues? Would you follow with me in chapter 14, beginning in verse 2, and just follow his reasoning? First of all, in verses 2 and 3, Paul says that if you speak in a tongue, you speak to God, not to people, because no one would understand except God what you're saying. 
But if you prophesy, he says, you speak to people and you do it for three reasons. Number one, you do it for their strengthening. That's the word edification or building up. Number two, you do it for their encouragement. That's a, a relative of the word parakletos, one who comes alongside to help. And you do it for their comfort. And that word has the idea of drawing near. So you do it for, if you speak in a word audibly, intelligibly in the, in the body of believers, if someone has that gifting, they do it for the strengthening and for the encouragement and the comfort of the body. Notice verse 4. Those with the gift of tongues edify their own faith, but those who have prophecy build up the faith of the entire church. Verse 5, Paul would be glad, he said, if everyone were given the gift of tongues. Not everyone is, but Paul would rather that people prophesy. He even says that prophecy is the greater than the speaking in tongues unless there is an interpreter so that people could be edified. If you fast forward to verse 19, he even goes so far in verse 19 as to say, I would rather that you speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue so that people could be edified. Now, he goes into other argumentation in verses 6 to 8. He uses musical instruments and so on. But in verse 9, the key issue is, is using intelligible words as opposed to unintelligible words. And Paul concludes in verse 12 by saying, So since you Corinthians have, are eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, then eagerly desire the ones that build up other people. It's pretty clear, isn't it, language? That's what the greater gifts are. It's not individual gifts. It's what is the purpose of it? Is it to build others up? And you can make the same mistake with the gift of tongues as you could make with the gift of any other gift. You could do it for building your own faith up, but not building up the faith of your brothers and sisters in the church. It's not about you. That's the point Paul's making to the church at Corinth. It's not about you. It's about building each other up in love. That's the point. And so that's the reason, third reason, why spiritual gifts had become a source of tearing down division instead of building up. And uh, unfortunately, the church at Corinth sought the gift of tongues for their own spiritual benefit and, and made that mistake. Now, I don't think that we resemble the church at Corinth in certain ways. But I think that the, the teaching the Apostle Paul gives is actually very relevant for us. And I want to just comment three things before uh, I sit down. And what can we learn from the church? First of all, we can recognize the source of divisions among us and address them in love. We, we must walk humbly before God knowing that we could fall prey to the same divisions that Corinth fall, fell prey to. That I follow Paul, I follow this teacher, I like that doctrine, I follow that speaker. And we could have division in our church for those reasons. We could also see that division could creep in from all sides and from within. Relational conflict, I believe, at all levels of the church is always crouching at the door, waiting entrance. And it just takes someone... To, to open the door a crack and it'll rush in and it'll cause conflict in the church family. One of the reasons why our mission statement as a church is that we believe in nurturing followers of Jesus Christ through what? Through healthy relationship. We add that clearly because we believe that's 
where the context, whether it's in a family or in the community or in the church body, that's where we nurture our faith is in healthy relationship. Secondly, I think we need to learn to give proper place to the gifts of the Spirit that edify the body of Christ. That's the, that's the acid test. Is this building others up? Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophecies. Now, you and I don't talk in our church anyway about prophecies. We don't say, hey, I'm a prophet, by the way. Um, we don't say, hey, I have a prophecy to share. We don't talk like that. But if you, don't, if you don't stumble over the language, at least understand the content. And the point is that the greater gifts that Paul is identifying here are gifts that are intelligible. They're speaking gifts. They're gifts that build up the body of Christ. So call it what you want, but that is what is needed in the body of believers. And then thirdly, to encourage each other and each person in the church to, to live out what they're gifted to do. Yesterday when we were in our retreat with the board and the staff of our church, there were 17, there was 15 present, but we had the, the assessment um, results of 17 of us in our leadership that had taken the spiritual gifts inventory. And we had, we had in the results, we had eight of the 17 that scored in their top three giftings, they scored in administration. Eight of 17 in the leadership of this church are gifted administrators. And there were four, particularly, in that group of 17 that did not have the gift of administration in their top three giftings. They were me and Pastor Kevin and Pastor Doug and Pastor Kevin. <laughs> now, do we need to administrate? You betcha we do. We do a lot of administration. It comes with the turf, but, it, but it's a reflection of the fact that... that we need a lot of help on that, too, if the body of Christ is going to be built up. Now, guess what? Guess where the emphasis of giftings are among the four pastors of this church? Can you guess? They are gifts of teaching, encouragement, prophecy, word of wisdom, evangelism. Guess what they all are? They're speaking gifts. That's the way God has arranged the parts of the body. We also saw that in this same uh, retreat that six of the 17 on the board and the staff have the gift of helps in their top three. Guess what four people didn't have the gift of helps in their top three? It's because we need a lot of help. <laughs> and a lot of you have the gift of helps. So what am I saying in all this? I'm, I'm saying exactly what... Pastor Doug was saying last week, take the time to continue to press into God on this matter. He shared with us last week, study the spiritual gifts by all means, but don't just end there. Serve, get, get out and take a reasonable risk in an area that you think you might be gifted in. And in your doing so, surrender your life fully to the Lord, and then finally solicit some feedback. Get Get some people that you know and love to speak back into your life. As I pray, would you, uh, Kevin, would you bring the worship uh, team up? And uh, as they come forward, would you just join me in prayer? And let me just pray a blessing on this message for your sake. God, I pray 
that as we have talked about spiritual gifts this morning, and as we have thought about the church at Corinth, we know that the same world, worldly influences, the same fleshly, sinful influences, the same devil that lived then lives now, we could easily succumb to divisions and arguments and and our spiritual gifts that you've given us could cause problems. But oh God, I pray it won't be because of lack of use. I pray that you'd raise up people here that will come to understand more and more how you've gifted them and what you've called them to do to to build up others in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Lord, for your church, for Jesus. You're you're, you're a wonderful Savior. You're the chief shepherd, and I know that you want to continually mobilize us for ministry. So bless us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was excited enough watching those kids sing that I forgot that I was supposed to pray at the end. (laughs) My apologies, but wasn't it nice to see them? Didn't it do your heart good? What happened? When we see that, we love them. They love us. And it becomes core to all that we've been learning about in terms of real leadership. I want to read just a little bit of one of Paul's prayers to the Ephesian Christian, but to you, to me. And he says it this way. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep, and then it doesn't finish the sentence properly. The grammar breaks. And Paul stops and just takes a big breath shoves the period in and then says, and to know the love of God, which passes all knowledge. Now to him that is able to do more than you could ever imagine or think, to him be glory in the fellowship of this church, now and forever. Amen.